Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 62. The same old crew is in the joint. We've got producer Megan on the sticks. We've got Cody Saftik. Papa Cody Saftik. Father to a new child. Cammy is on the line. Yeah. How's fatherhood treating you? We'll talk about fights in a little bit, but uh, any wise words to, to share with the people here? No, not really, man. I'm sure like everybody's kid's different because people give you advice and some of it's like true and some of it is just non-applicable. So you just kind of got to go with it. But the biggest takeaway is it just feels like being jet lagged. The first couple of days you're like, yeah, this is awesome. This is no problem. And then just you're waking up at weird hours and you're going to bed at weird hours. And all of a sudden you think it's five o'clock, but it's noon or you think it's noon and it's five o'clock. So yeah, this card, I uh, can't say that I've taken... Oh, yeah, on top of that, right? I'm matchmaking two pro MMA shows right now. So one's November 17th in Toronto. Banger main event. We got Tariq Ishmael, 6-1, local Toronto guy. Trains at TriStar now. Taking on what, what, what? Four-fight UFC veteran, Wallel Watson. Wallel the gazelle. People might remember him. I he remember actually him. went the distance with TJ Dillashaw. You'll remember him because he fought on two undercards. Jones Machida, Jones Belfort in Toronto. Yeah. But anyways, yeah, he's kicking it around. Dope card. And then I'm doing a show at West. It's gonna it's like twice the budget, big card. So trying to match make two cards, trying to take care of my kid. Got my fight network gig, obviously. Still training our boy DA Jiminy Cricket back because he is gonna be the, the real investment is for us Let's in go. our DOP racing crew. All I'm saying is busy time, busy time. This card, I was like, Yeah, you gave me an out. You're like, why don't I just fill out a replacement this week? You enjoy the week, spend time with the kid. And I can't say I tape studied it nearly as much as I would have liked have. But I like some spots, bro. I like some spots. So the only thing that I don't want is I already got a crying baby. So I don't need no crying Twitter. So let's hit some winning picks and have a good time, my man. Baby swag is incoming. I'm pretty sure baby swag is incoming. You are due more than anybody in this whole community is due right now. Uh, this episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit main event we've got alexa grasso taking on viviani arujo grasso is a minus 225 favorite arujo can be had for plus 190 kind of going through their previous fights the issues that i see here for arujo is like she seems to be very very low volume She's obviously 35 years old. She hasn't seemed to struggle too, too much when she's gotten to the later, like into later parts of round three. Um, you know, the, the the gas tank does seem to hold up for her pretty decently. Um, I'm thinking more of like the Andrea Lee fight most recently. Like the, the gas tank is there for her. I don't know how she's going to do in five rounds, but like she doesn't look like too much of a concern for her. I think that she probably just loses this fight on volume. And I've been really impressed with like Grasso. Grasso came to the UFC so young in her career that, um, yeah, the, the thing about her is that, yeah, she came so young into, into her career and showed up and she was so green. And like because of her successes in Invicta, I think. She has had a lot of pressure on her, but like you've been seeing massive, massive improvements in her well round. Like we always knew that she had like really, really solid boxing, but you know, round two against Macy Barber, she's almost cinching up a rear naked choke. And then against Joanne Wood, the following fight out, she actually gets the, uh, the rear naked choke finish. So it's like, she's been working on that grappling. 
She should have a decent advantage on the feet. Minus 225. The price is a little bit steep. I am picking her to win, likely by decision, but the prop on that doesn't make me all that excited. In a in long story short, it's like I'm picking Grasso to win. I wonder if we can get something really, really dumb in terms of like one of the late late round props for her. But I could definitely see this just going to decision. Alexa Grasso wins by decision. It's basically it's it's right off of the back of her just having a much better much better volume over the course of her fights. So. Yeah, on, on prize picks, I also like the uh, 90.5 significant strikes. I think that's a pretty decent spot. She's gotten to there um, in some three-round fights, and this is a five-round fight. You look at Arujo versus Caitlin Shukagian, and she absorbed 127 significant strikes in that fight in three rounds. So it's like the, the path is there to get over 90, I think, pretty comfortably. So that's on my prize picks ticket. Uh, interested in, uh, in what you have to say about this fight, though. Yeah, so ironically enough, we met in, what, 2010? Was it 2010? Mm -hmm. And uh, we're in college, and they're like, oh, do some radio roundtables. And it's like, man, everyone here is into football or baseball or hockey. Mm, a couple of people are into, like, basketball and tennis. But I was like, oh, man, this Paul Shaughnessy guy says he's into fights. So we get talking some fights, and you're like, bro, I love it. Man, watch a bunch of fights. I'm a fan. And you're like, uh, only thing is, I don't like women's MMA. I was like, what do you mean you don't like women's MMA? It's the best MMA. You're like, man, I grew up in a household. I got two sisters. And when I watch women's MMA, I get the thought of one of my sisters in there, and I just can't stomach it. That, that was later, this Paul is like Shaughnessy ten. Is this is on board. Ten Paul years loves, ago. Ten years. Eleven ago. years ago. Lot, yeah, times bro, have changed. Long Cody. time ago. Times of, no, no, times no. have changed. Now I just had myself a baby girl. See that little baby girl, <laughs> and my first card back is women's MMA headliner five rounds of brutality. It's like, oh, man, can I still stomach it? The answer is yes. I do like this fight. I think great live betting opportunity. I think Grosso probably does struggle with a little bit of the physicality, maybe the takedowns early of Arujo. But whereas you're saying you don't mind Arujo's cardio, I don't think it's very good. I think at 35, it's not getting any better. And in a five-round fight, her first five-round fight, it's going to come to light. When you look at her record throughout the UFC, her fight with Alexis Davis, right? She actually gets outstruck by Alexis Davis and loses the third round to her, getting outstruck like 23-17 tires in that third round the very next fight against jessica i she most definitely tires gives up those later rounds loses to jessica i cardio issue potentially in back-to-back -back fights uh montana de la rosa montana de la rosa got smoked in the first two rounds but she did win the third round she did take viviana arroyo down in the third round and she did outstruck viviana arroyo not only in the third round but in the fight overall so it's another trend where she's tiring in these third rounds to me and she's getting outstruck she got outstruck by alexis davis even though she won she got outstruck by jessica i she lost she got struck by Montana De La Rosa. She also got struck by Chayton Jakagian, of course. And even that last fight with Andrea Lee looked a lot better. Got outstruck 47 to 33. So you mentioned it, volume's low. 100% agree that volume is low from her. But to me, I'm seeing that in these three, four, five, uh, the volume's going to be especially low because I, I, I honestly think she tires out. Now, she does get a little bit of wrestling she can fall back on. She got the three takedowns against Andrea Lee. She got one against Caitlin Jakagian, four against Roxanne Modafferi. Not that that's overly impressive, but... You do see that wrestling could be a part of her game. And the flip side to Alexa Grosso, every time that she's lost a fight has been her grappling let her down, right? Uh, Felice Herrig, uh, Tatiana Suarez, Carla Esparza, all of these fights she's giving up the takedowns. So I don't doubt that she maybe does get taken down maybe round one, maybe round two. Maybe she's slightly behind the ball, the eight ball. 
You'll get a much better price on the live betting market here. And then eventually Arroyo starts to slow down, doesn't get the takedowns as easy, and Grosso's output should eventually win out through. So, yeah, I know I'm the kind of guy to put the main event on one side of the ticket up top, but this is not a main event I would do that to. I think if Pat Mayo was here, he would tell you live underdog Arroyo, and I couldn't necessarily disagree with him. But I'm thinking that Grosso's going to win because it's a five-rounder. Volume will take it over in the long run. So sign me up for Grosso, Grosso by decision. But again, don't, don't love it. Don't love it. Yeah. All right. We got uh, Jonathan Martinez taking on Cub Swanson. Jonathan Martinez is a minus 210 favorite. Cub Swanson can be had for plus 180. The, the, the side that really jumps out to me in this one, I think, is the under. Uh, I already jumped on it under two and a half rounds, plus 130. If you watch Cub's recent fights, he still kind of fights with that, like, you know, nonchalant, hands down chin up like you know kind of moving in and out of the pocket but like I don't know if the footwork's quite there obviously he got the uh the first round finish against Darren Elkins which is very very difficult like the guy still hits with some power obviously um but he's also yeah it's like he's it's a live by the sword die by the sword situation with him these days Martinez hasn't exactly been a potent finisher whatsoever I'll I'll lean to him, but I think round one could be very, very dicey. Like, Cub throws some unorthodox strikes. He throws at a variety of angles that, like, Martinez probably hasn't really seen a comp coming up uh, in his run here. I just think somebody... I, I'm betting on violence here. Small cage, under two and a half rounds, plus 130. Sign me up. Uh, Martinez for the purpose of a pick, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Again, I, I can't disagree with you there. Jonathan Martinez would be a lot faster. He is a technical striker, but I don't necessarily love this one again. And I want to wait until weigh in. So if you're Cub Swanson, you've had a long career. You fought all the best guys. You are now 38 years old. I think he's like a couple weeks outside of his 39th birthday. So it's like, is the end closed for Cub Swanson potentially? Does he still got a last hurrah in him? I think he might, but the end is getting close. And now at this point in his career, He's dropping down to 135 pounds. Like, what's that going to look like? Is he going to be as fast as he used to be? Is he going to hit as hard as he used to be? Like, that, I'm not entirely sure. And as much as a big question mark would be, is Cub Swanson going to be a killer bantamweight that's a title contender? Not a title contender at 39, I guess, but an upper echelon guy at 135 pounds? Or is he just going to get lost in the mix of the world's best division? Who knows? But as much as you can talk about weight issues for Cub Swanson, Jonathan Martinez, to me, bro, same questions about this guy. You look at his record, remember when he fought Frankie Sines? To me, that was the best he ever looked. Thing is, Frankie Sines weighed 135 pounds and Jamar weighed 140, right? Against Thomas Almeida, he looked pretty good at 145 pounds. When he dropped down to 135, his return to 35 against Davy Grant, I thought he started out good. He looks fast, sharp footwork, but ultimately Davy Grant just makes it a bit of a scrap, hits him with an overhand, folds him up early into the second. Was it the cut down to 135 or is he chinny? I'm not entirely sure. Now, against that Zvayad Zvashvili, dude took the fight on like a week's notice and was gassed like two minutes into this fight. So he looked good there, danced around him, landed like 97 significant strikes. It's a high output for him. But again, I think it's a reflective of his opponent was not doing anything, more or less just sitting there and getting touched up. But then we go to the Alejandro Perez fight. Looks like he might have a bit of a difficult weight cut, right? But does make it in the fight, doing well in the first round, and then throws like a lazy knee, and Alejandro Perez catches him with an overhand shot right over the top, drops Jamar down. 
maybe Alejandro Perez won that first round on the basis of that knockdown. But that to me is, is this guy chinny? Because we've seen him get dropped before now. We've seen him struggle to make down 135. We've seen the best he looks is when he's not at 135. It's 145. Part of me is like a good rugged guy with some power in his hands could come forward and do something. Now, Vince Morales wasn't able to do it, but Vince Morales is not someone I don't think you would classify as a power puncher. Cub, for maybe the things that he's lacking now at 39 years old, for maybe a weird quirky style with his hands down. One thing you can't take away from him, dude still hits, man. You mentioned that uh, he knocked out Darren Elkins, which is no easy task, but even the the Daniel Pineda fight, just absurd volume, breaks him down, knocks him out. The Cron Gracie fight. Cron Gracie was like fighting for his family's honor because he took some shots, man. Mm-hmm. Cub Swanson lands like 136 significant strikes on him. The Burgos fight. Burgos is... Rocked every which way but loose. And again, huge output. Now, those guys are tough enough to take it. But has Jonathan Martinez ever shown you that he's tough enough to take it? To me, not necessarily. So he's going to have a... He's 29. His body's only getting bigger. These weight cuts are getting tougher for him. So if he has a botched weight cut back to 35, taking on a big, strong Cub Swanson that's got a renewed sense of purpose here, and Cub can put hands on him for a live underdog price Cub Swanson inside the distance, attempted, tempted... I think Jonathan Martinez has kind of let me down. And when you look at Cub outside of Giga Chikots, no man has fought this guy in the last like four years that has walked out of it, you know, easy. Generally, he can put a, a pace on you. So I'm worried that he's going to be a lot slower. I'm worried that maybe uh, Jonathan Martinez is going to be able to outclass him in the early going. But if he makes this a scrap and makes this a dirty Cub Swanson type fight, I think he can catch him and break him. So I think I'm leaning slight dog here, uh, Cub Swanson right now. You know what? I didn't know that this was that bantamweight. I, that makes me like it even more, to be perfectly honest. Has Cub ever even fought at bantamweight? <laughs> no, that's like what I had saying. to check. I, I had to check is. three web websites. I, I mean, I still like the under in that situation. If Cub has a terrible weight cut or Martinez has a terrible weight cut, I'm going to be feeling better about plus one thirty on uh, to the under there. Anyways, um, yeah, there's no way I'm betting Martinez at minus two ten. That's Let's uh give yeah the give give your head. There's much better minus two tens or in that range on this card that you can parlay than Jonathan Martinez. I'll tell you that much. But yeah, I definitely like that under. It'd be very interesting to see Cub make it. I'm actually scrolling. I went to th- like while you were talking, I went to three different websites to see. I'm like, all right. So I went to like UFC stats and it said bantamweight and Tapology says that. And then I went to like the UFC's official page and yes, it's a bantamweight fight. So weird, right? Yeah. I mean, wait, wait till Friday. 38 years old, cutting down to a weight class that <laughs> I don't think you've ever been to. That doesn't sound very good either. Um, hopefully, the bodies hit the floor and hopefully I catch that plus 130 uh, under two and a half. All right, moving on down, we got Askar Askarov taking on Brandon Royval, minus 265 for Askar Askarov. Brandon Royval can be half plus 225. Cody, who you got here, buddy? Yeah, I got to go with Askar Askarov. Uh, the thing with Brandon Roy Val is as tricky as he is, he's got just so many glaring holes in his game. The biggest one probably being his takedown defense. So we know he's got amazing jiu-jitsu and he loves throwing up submissions, but it's 2022, man. You don't want to be fighting off your back, especially against the higher that you go in the division. They're eventually just going to snuff out these takedown, sorry, these uh, submission attempts. When you Again, when you look at his career, the him versus Tim Elliott, right, gives up the four takedowns. Him versus Brandon Moreno, he gives up two. The second of which, like, dislocates his shoulder, right? Uh, same thing with Pantoja fight. Three takedowns given up, and they're eventually cemented by the rear naked choke. Overpowered, more or less. 
the Rodrigo Bontran fight, a Rogerio Bontran fight. Very interesting because he gives up eight takedowns, right? Easy money. It just Bontran doesn't do anything with the takedowns. First round, I think he takes his back, wins that round. Second and third round, doesn't do shit. So Roy Val won a close decision on the judges' scorecards in the basis of he was doing a little bit more. Paul, eight takedowns given up, mm -hmm. and another set of judges could have very easily scored that thing the other way. That would have effectively put him on a three-fight winning streak going into a fight with Matt Schnell. And then the fight with Matt Schnell, he gets rinsed silly, right? And, you know, thankfully, Schnell jumps on top of him, and he's able to throw up a, a triangle choke and snag it. But in a different reality, he's not on a two-fight winning streak. He's on a four-fight losing streak. That Bontrain fight could have been scored the other way. Schnell could have had him out on his feet. So as much as he's scrapping, he throws up submissions, and... You know, he, he throws a crazy pace and he's working on all these different things and he could catch you. Uh, Askar Askarov just presents a whole lot of problems because dude's very durable. So just catching him with some crazy spin back fist kind of thing, probably not going to get the trick done. Uh, on top of that, his submission defense is very solid. So just throwing up triangles and arm rows off your back, probably not going to get it done. And on top of that, his wrestling's top notch. I know in his last fight against Kai Car France, he struggled to hold down Car France when he did get the takedowns and he probably should have wrestled a little bit more. But there's another spot that he didn't necessarily look bad. It's just Kai Car France looked really good. Also, the war in Russia had literally just started. So they were in Ohio. Like literally anytime Askarov landed anything, it was like booze. And anytime Kai France even like dodged a punch, it was like, you know, a raucous cheer as if he was a native Ohio. What would you say? Ohioan? I think Probably so. Not. That sounds is it? Right. That's how it is? Yeah. That sounds right to me. Ohioan. It just, it, they they really took Kai Car France that night. So we had the crowd working against them. You had the judges working against them. And the takedowns didn't work in that spot. But taking down Joseph Benavidez five times, come on. That's obviously an impressive feat. Taking down Alexander Pantoja twice, these are good feats. I think he can easily get takedowns here against Brandon Royval. And then in terms of just evading the submissions off uh, when you're on top and landing a little bit of ground and pound, yeah, I think he's savvy and durable enough to do exactly that. So I know he's a little bit of a heavy favorite this week, but... And it's flyweight, and he let us, a lot of people down in his last fight. Like, I know there's all that, but stylistically here, I think he just, even if he just wants to strike, right, and beat him up, and at any point, if he's not feeling it, he could just take he'd just take him down. So yeah. gonna, it's such an easy out, right? And it scores well with the judges. So um, I got to go with Askarov to get this. It, normally, I would say by decision, right? Well, that's what he's going to do. He's just going to take him down and grind him. But Royval's got this kind of thing where, like, he's kill or be killed. He'll either catch you with something or he'll get knocked out by something silly or dislocate his shoulder or get caught in a rear naked choke. Like, he's not the kind of guy I like betting uh, to go to decision and fight. So as much as my heart tells me Askarov by decision, I wouldn't I wouldn't go this fight to go 15 simply because Royval is just so erratic. Yeah, I totally – I agree on pretty much all fronts there. I think Asker Askarov gets the takedowns, gets them with ease. Even when he's down there, like – uh, what type of submission threat is Roy? Like, Roy Val's going to throw up a whole bunch of submissions, submission attempts, but, like, none of them... I, I really would be surprised if he catches Asker Askarov in those spots. Um, on the, I mean, this could be one of those ones, though, where it's just, like, unless Asker Askarov gets, like, the early takedown and just, you know, holds him down, uh, controls him from those positions, Brandon Roy Val starts hot. Like, you maybe get a much better price on Asker Askarov, but, you know, if you don't jump in before and he gets a takedown in the first 30 seconds, then you're looking more at, uh, you know, minus 400 when they open up the uh, the windows again. But Royval, it's going to be it's gonna be dicey probably the first two and a half minutes of this fight. But Askarov showed that he's got good durability. He's got the ability to get the fight to the ground. I was tempted 
by over three takedowns for Askar Askarov. I mean, he had three, five takedowns against Joe Benavidez. I feel like, in theory, he should be able to get over those three. But, yeah, you said it earlier. It's like, if Roy Val flakes, he all, all of a sudden you get into round two and, you know, he's went through all of his cardio at that point. It could get really, really dicey and getting to that over three, like getting to four takedowns to win. It seems a lot less likely if we're dealing with like a seven, eight minute fight. So uh, Asker, Asker for me, shade to the under, but I don't think I'm going to get there. Under two and a half is plus 110. Don't mind that, but don't love it. Moving on down, we've got Dusko Todorovic taking on Jordan Wright. Minus 205 for Dusko, or plus 175 for Jordan Wright. Okay, I have a lot of money on the under one and a half rounds here, Cody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think a lot of people do. A lot. Like a yeah, lot, a lot. I've sense. parlayed it. Um, I played it heavy straight. It's my biggest bet in a while. Because, like, here's the thing. Jordan Wright has what what is his record? His record is 12 and 3. He's fought 15 times in MMA. He has never been over seven and a half minutes in any fight. Ever. He either knocks guys out, or it's even like last time out. It's just like, all right, there's a little bit more of a measured approach against Marc Andre Barrio. He goes out there and he actually, you know, he uses all those tools that the the janitor Vladimir Matashenko has been teaching him. Uh, working on that wrestling, uh, you know, going for some takedowns. And then he goes for a takedown and, like, gives up his neck and gets guillotined. So it's just like this guy's got more holes than Swiss cheese. Um, Dusko, in his own right, like, he he's had some serious chin issues. Like, even when he hasn't been knocked out, we've seen him, you know, sparked a little bit wobbly. I I mean, I'm going to lose a lot of money, but like I just keep kind of loading it up. Jordan or yeah, the under one and a half rounds here should be like minus 400, minus 500. I mean, in theory it should be minus affinity because he's never actually gotten there. And like even times that he's gotten into round 2, uh I went back and watched him um against Joaquin Buckley. And it's just like, well, it was almost done in round 1. Um, he was saved by the bell in the last like 12 seconds. And then it was done in like, what the first 18 seconds of round two, like he was done, done. Um, Dushko's not the he most heavy handed guy on the feet. There are, I suppose there's possibilities for, you know, between Todorovich, maybe if he's not able to get takedowns and he kind of stays at range, but it's like, I don't know, man, until I'm proven wrong, I'm betting right fights to go under. Um, whatever and they made it like relatively playable like minus 220 it's chalk you know me I'm always the guy looking for like big underdog plays in that I'm just like I looked at this and I'm like how is under one and a half rounds not minus 400 minus 500 like yeah this is the, this is I think the the it's so straightforward and so obvious that I'm a little bit scared because it's not really moving as much as I kind of thought it would but, like, how do you not get all over this under? Um, I'll pick Todorovic. I think Todorovic takes him down. And once he takes him down there, he just batters him and uh, eventually finds a finish probably in the first round. Um, so, yeah, Todorovic. But, I mean, the under is way better play. Yeah, that covers you from uh, Jordan Wright landing some sort of crazy kick or something like that. 
But yeah. Yeah, dude, just, just to hop on what you're saying, he's got 15 pro fights, but even his one no contest on the contender series is like 43 seconds, him versus yep. Fluffy Hernandez, where he gets toppled over. Um, the Joaquin Buckley fight, you mentioned that there's like 20 seconds left in the round and he gets dropped, almost gets stopped. And then the broadcast team were saying that he's uh he was stuttering between his like between rounds. And his corner was like, Oh, I don't know if we should send this guy out or not. Then he goes out and gets knocked out that fast into round two. Maybe he's one of these guys that just doesn't react particularly well. Some guys can take a shot. Some guys can't, right? So call it chinny. Call it his brain's just not sending the proper signals when he's, like, in harm. But this is a fist fight. You're going to get hit. So I think what everything you're saying of the other one and a half makes a lot of sense. I got to kind of think maybe PRP pick this week that I go Jordan Wright. Because, listen, it's going to be a banger, like you said, and why can't he land a shot? There's one thing we know about Jordan Wright is that he is a fast starter, and he does have some decent power. Knocking out Jamie Pickett in like a minute, you know, a guy that had previously never been knocked out and showed some decent durability against some other opponents. Yeah, yeah, pretty decent. You see uh, the Ike Villanueva fight, it's a cut stoppage, but all the same. It's like it shows what he can do when he's aggressive and goes for it right away. Did he get caught in a Mark Andre Barrio guillotine choke his last time out? Yeah, but did show improved wrestling, did show some wriggles to his game. It's still young enough that I think he's still learning on the fly. Here's a guy that came to the UFC had virtually no experience, had a good-looking record, but had fought absolutely nobody. Uh, so, again, he's going to have to learn on the fly. And his best quality is just like Randy Costa, who's a total bust as well, is get a quick start, man. Don't try to play this thing smart. You need to go out there and bomb this guy. It's either going to work or it's not. But when you try to take a conservative approach, it doesn't work. Just go Todorovic, meanwhile, he's that opponent where he's such a defensive liability that he would actually play into what Jordan Wright does well. He's a slow starter. He's extremely hittable. And he's got a super questionable chin. Me and my buddy Volky, uh, Brandon Volky back in the day, we used to play like EA Sports MMA, the original UFC game. And uh, he was way better than me, man. I don't know. He, it went to the ground. I always got smoked. So eventually I wouldn't play him unless he made a deal. He couldn't take me down. And then we would have these striking matches, bro, and he'd just kick my ass every time. So then we had a deal where he couldn't block. And then it was, like, competitive. I could beat him sometimes. You know, I would just catch him. He'd be kicking my ass, but I could catch him because he wasn't allowed to block. That, in a nutshell, is Dusko Todorovic. He's pretty talented, man. He's got a slick ground game. Believe BJJ Black Belt. Very good on top. Has good output. Uh, has good cardio. He just can, can take a punch. Just allows himself to take way too many. He was a three to one favorite over Alberta, Canada's Teddy Ash on the contender series, and yet got outstruck and got hit 109 times by Teddy Ash. That's a giant red flag. His fight with Puna Soriano dropped twice on paper, but everything Soriano threw landed, and everything that landed absolutely rocked him, right? That's red flag number two. His fight with Gregory Rodriguez, you know, I guess it's admirable that he went to decision with a a more greener version of RoboCop, but all the same, you know, he just, he gets taken down. He's, he's out muscled. He gets hit a whole bunch in that fight. He basically lands nothing. He's out of it. And then the Mackie Patolo fight, he's getting boxed up by Mackie. Thank God he took him down because he wasn't looking good standing. And then his last fight with Chidi and Jaquan, he knocked out basically right away. It was a nasty elbow, but it's the guy just doesn't defend himself. So I, I can see him winning this fight and maybe he's going to make this look super easy. And he was like the best play of the week, but for my money's worth, I'd want him really low, or I would flip and go PRP pick Jordan Wright, and that Jordan Wright just comes out and knocks him. But in yeah. either case, that minus one and a half looking pretty good, dude. The under one and a half. So uh, I think you're definitely on the right track there. I think it's going to be a violent fight. I think someone's getting knocked out. But again, some of these underdogs are going to come through, and the underdogs that generally yeah. come through 
or when they're taking on these guys that just do it to themselves. Not saying he can't win this fight. He is more talented. Saying that he has a tendency to blow it for himself, and this could be one of those spots. I'm not going to argue too much against that, to be perfectly honest. Like That's why I think, yeah, minus 205 for Todorovic is like the under covers you on both tracks here. It's like Todorovic either probably takes him down and smashes away, which he's not like some sort of elite wrestler by any stretch of the imagination. And in fairness to Jordan Wright, I mean, it probably has to do with a lot of his fights not actually taking that much time. But like he hasn't really been taken down by anybody. I mean, he got two takedowns against Marc-Andre Barrio last time out. Um, but then, yeah, he showed he showed how helpless he was when he actually did take him down. Just to give up his neck and then just get choked like that. It was like, okay, there's there's really no redeeming. Like, I, I like that, like, you know, he had a little bit more of a measured approach and yada, yada, yada. It's just like, this is the same old Jordan Wright. Under machine. Um, so, yeah, love that play have a lot on it and I mean if it keeps hanging around and we find some other plays I may tie more stuff to it and uh god help me if this fight goes seven minutes and 31 seconds moving on down we got Alonzo Menafield taking on Misha Shurkinov minus 200 Menafield plus 170 for Misha this fight's at 205 which is kind of interesting because like Misha was you know trying to make way down at 185 and then the kind the general trend that you saw while he was down there is like he just seemed so slow against all of these 185 pounders and then at one at at uh at 205 he's always kind of seemed a little bit undersized for the style of fight that he wants to have which is like you know judo trips muscle you down and when you get you down there he's got you know a pretty sneaky submission game Menafield is one of the you, you should you what you change one letter in this and it's minefield because betting his fights are risky risky business. Um, I feel like eventually Menafield lands a bomb here and puts uh, Misha out of his, his out of his misery. But it's a fight that I really want to see the weigh-ins before I do any sort of action because I mean Misha's listed at six foot three. Menafield's listed six foot, so it's like maybe my in my mind I feel like Alonzo's a lot bigger, a lot thicker than Misha, but I want to see the two of them standing next to each other before I really like sink into this one. But yeah, I think Menafield wins. I think Menafield wins probably by knockout. Not a fight that I'm probably gonna get to the betting window with, though. What about you, Cody? Yeah, I got a lot of the same feelings. Again, I don't know if I'm going to take right, but it's like one of those, one of these dogs are going to come through, take it. Misha, to me, same thing. Like, I could definitely see him getting knocked out by Alonzo Menafield. He just doesn't seem like he takes a punch particularly well. Again, most of his losses are him either doing well and then getting clipped or just, yeah, a lot of the times he won't stand up to those big shots. So uh, could Menafield clip him with something? Absolutely. The other thing, though, is that if the fight does hit the ground, Misha is much better than Alonzo Menafield. His ground game is top-notch. Why could he not submit Alonzo Menafield? And beyond beyond that, when I look at Menafield, uh, he's got a problem, I think, with like getting controlled up against the cage. You go back to the Devin Clark fight, right, where Devin Clark is a much smaller man, and Menafield was a big favorite in that spot. First round, Menafield lets his hands go and you know swells up his eye, but rounds two and three, he just gasses out and just clings on against the cage the entire time, uh, eventually getting taken down in the third, but completely gasses, and you see that he's a one-round guy. All of his wins on the regional scene are one round. 
I mean, he everyone's talking about like, man, how come Bo Nickel didn't get signed after that dope ass win? This is a guy that knocked out Sean Boatwright eight seconds, eight seconds on the contender series after coming off a first round knockout win on the contender series. It was like his whole career is just obviously he's no Bo Nickel, but it's just quick knockouts, quick knockouts. They made him fight a second time, even though he smoked a guy. They made him fight a second time in the contender series because it's like I just not sold on what does he actually got. I really felt that that Devin Clark fight was the first time that it was like, yeah, this guy doesn't got it. His subsequent fight against Ovin St. Pru is one of the worst fights you've ever seen up until finally he's like, YOLO, I got to make something happen. And then Ovin St. Pru knocks him out with a check left hook. So I think that was a fight that he was worried about gassing. So he tried to conserve himself. Again, at this point, he's lost. Now, the two wins of Fabio Chiron via Von Pru choke and the Ed Herman fight. On paper, the Ed Herman fight looks good because he landed 91 significant strikes. But again, he should be knocking out Herman. This is a first-round finisher. This is a guy with big power, big deadly power. His whole reputation is built on this ex- fast, explosive twitch muscle, knocking guys out. And you're going the decision with Ed Herman in like a bog of a fight? I, I don't know. William Knight fight, bog of a fight, getting controlled mm-hmm. in the clinch, gets knocked down in that fight, only lands 44 significant strikes against a much smaller man, right? I don't know that he likes these pure clinch style of type fights. And with me, oh, and his last win over Askar Oskarov, come on, anybody was going to, or Askar Mazarov, sorry. Um, and I think anybody was going to do that in that position. So whatever, can't take away too much from that. When I look at Misha, Misha, he's been clinging on to guys in basically all of these fights. The Christoph Jocko fight, two fights back, I had Jocko and I thought Jocko, you know, did more trying to win, but a lot of people scored the fight for Misha Cherkinov. He got takedowns. He controlled them. He didn't do terribly. In the Wellington Terman fight, all three judges' scorecards. Misha Cherkinov wins the first round. His grappling look efficient in the first round. Second round, he gets snacked up by an armbar from guard. Damn. Insta-tap. It come off of Misha Cherkinov. Insta-tap. And it did come off of Misha Cherkinov takedown, so he took him down in the second. All he had to do was cruise out that round, and he would have been up two rounds to nothing going into the third, and Wellington Terman catches him. Wellington Terman is a BJJ black belt. Wellington Terman is uh, trained by Glover Texera. Yeah, he had something up his back pocket. Do you think Alonzo Menafield would snatch him up with an armbar from guard? No. No, no. What are you talking about? Misha gets Alonzo down. He could have success. If he doesn't take him down, he can just press him into the cage for a couple rounds and tire him out. Could be enough to get the job done. Mm-hmm. If he can, he's forced to swing at him with that range. Probably gets knocked out. But also, maybe doesn't get knocked out on the basis of Alonzo Menafield just not letting his hands go. Trying to pace himself. Misha's 35. Worrisome. Alonzo's 34. Basically the same thing. So, I, I think it's just a pass fight. But of course... Why not be a dog or pass fight? Name of the show, little saying we like to say around here. If you're smart, just hit the pass altogether. If you're looking for these greasy little underdogs that do have a legitimate path to victory, I think it's that. Lonzo Menafield has never taken on a jiu-jitsu, pure jiu-jitsu guy. He has twice, Vinicius Moreira and Paul Craig. He knocked them out both easy in the first round, right? But you've not ever really seen his ground game tested. And since then, he's mostly exclusively fought guys that are dwindling mid-pack. Ovin St. Pru's decent on the ground, but the fight never hit the ground. Well, until he hit the ground, knocked unconscious. But Fabio Charant, Ed Herman, William Knight, Askar Mazarov. Ed Herman's a BJJ black belt, I guess, but just so old-timey at the time. Nothing there screams, if I do get taken down, I'm going to be able to survive. And so Misha does have a legit path of victory, and I think Meta feels just not all that good. So both enough reasons for me to maybe lean towards a dogger pass in this fight. My only thing that I would bite back on is that Misha does have a serious weakness as well, and it's that chin. And we haven't seen it in a while because Wellington Terman, not exactly a power puncher. And obviously, he snatched him up with the arm bar. Like, he was tapping from that arm bar 
before it even looked like it was locked in. But, like, I'm not some sort of wizard on the mat. So, like, maybe I'm an idiot and it was just, like, the perfect armbar. But, like, it was kind of, like, he was looked, like, as soon as that was snatched up, like, he was already tapping. It was kind of crazy on rewatch uh, earlier today. Um, but, yeah, we haven't seen him taking on, taking on somebody with, like, legit power in their hands since the Ryan Span right cross, ground and pound. Done in just a little bit over a minute. Johnny Walker knocked him out. Glover Teixeira knocked him out in the first round. Vulcan, who's even, Demir, knocked him out the in the first round. Even the win over Jimmy Yeah, even the win over Jimmy. He's getting ground and pounded, and it looks like he's right about to quit, and then he just, like, rolls over, gets on top, grabs a proving necktie, and subs him. <laughs> it was like it could have been a TKO I loss. Mean, the, that's basically the reason why he left 205 is because the guys at 205 – had too much power in their hands. He went down to 185, and then he was a little bit too slow there. I feel like he would have, if there was a 195 division, like his frame would probably have worked out best for that. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a minefield of a fight uh, between Menafield and, and Shurkinov. I'm going to say Menafield by knockout, but I'm not going to fault you for taking a dog shot on, like, Misha by sub. Misha by sub is, like, plus 400 out there. Definitely a uh, a serious path that's possible. Or even, yeah, as you said earlier, it's like Misha just holds him up against the cage and, you know, holds on for dear life and wins two of three rounds. It's really, really ugly. Luckily, there's barely any uh, fans in the in the stadium or in the uh, in the apex, so they won't be getting too many boos, I suppose. Yeah, uh, well, Cody. Yes, yeah, so I was gonna say the 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 only thing I'll say that we can move on on it is like yep. for me, anyways, at two of five, like Volkan Uzdemir loses that fight. Volkan fought for the title, right? Title challenger, Glover Teixeira, former champion, Ryan Span, top five, top seven of in in the two of five division. Sure. Uh, Johnny Walker, you know, he's been ranked as high as top five, top ten in the division. Christoph Jocko, and, and to a lesser extent, Wellington Terman, these guys are middleweights. He fights good competition. Alonzo Menafield has never been anywhere near the top 15. He has no real significant victories. At least at least Misha's choked out Jimmy Craig. Paul Craig. At least Misha's cheeked, choked out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Paul Craig's a good win. Um, but, I mean, we got wins over Nikita Krylov. We got wins over Jan Kudalaba. Yeah. You know, he's able to submit these guys and show off a little something-something. Yeah, uh, you could talk me into it. You could talk me out of it. I think we're kind of both on the same page, but we're ever so slightly going in different directions. Yeah. All right, we got uh, Mana Martinez taking on Brandon Davis. Minus 150, Martinez. Plus 130, Brandon Davis. Who you got here, Code? Well, I'm actually tempted to roll with another underdog, but at some point I got to use my head a little more than my heart. And if I'm going to roll with some underdogs here on maybe Jordan Wright, maybe not, I'm still on the fence with that one. But again, same thing with Misha Cherkinov. I see a path of victory for Brandon Davis in that he needs to push the pace. He needs to score takedowns. Manny Martinez uh, is a great first round. Well, I wouldn't say first round guy. He can carry his power out through all three. He's got huge power, right? He's got great power, a nasty left hook, but he's got big power in both hands. And the thing with Brandon Davis is his style is junkyard dog. He needs to be that junkyard dog. He needs to be able to back you up and put the pressure on you, have you moving on your back foot, score some takedowns even like he did in the Giga Chakots fight. He's fought a very high level of competition. And if you are if you are solid, if you are a Zabit Magomed Sharapov, if you are a, 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 a Enrique Barzola, yeah, those guys are going to beat him. If you're a fraud... This man will break on through to the other side. And so that's that's what's made him effective. And that's what, to me, would allow him to be a potential underdog to go there and get the win. Problem is, 
gets cut from the UFC after the Gikachikots fight, goes on a four-fight winning streak on the Florida regional scene, uh, builds his way back up. A couple decent wins, sure. But then his return against Dana Botgarel, which he took the fight on a month's notice, but, oh, man, was it the weight was, was it weight cut? Was it the month's notice? Was it his durability's gone? But, like, Dana Botgarel smashed him, Paul. Like, everything he threw completely rocked him. And I know Botgarel's the Mongolian murderer. He does throw heavy. He's not a world-class operator. Mana Martinez is not a world-class operator as well. My problem is, is that he throws heavy and has some heavy power. And if Brandon Davis is going to come in there and do the same thing he always does, which is take a shot to give a shot, yeah, there's a good chance he's getting knocked out in this one. So maybe live betting opportunity, Mana Martinez either ices him in the first round. If for whatever reason this thing gets out of the first round and Davis isn't just completely gassed from being hurt, because sometimes they got great cardio, but they're so hurt that it just their body language is they're gassed. They're gassed from being damaged. I mean, you see it all the time. If Brandon Davis looks shopworn and done after one round one, yeah, I don't hit it. If he lasts round one and takes those shots, I think round two and three, he could come back on Amanda Martinez and, again, score takedowns, push him backwards, make something happen, make it a scrap. Unfortunately, I'm not going to outright pull the trigger here. I'm going to take Amanda Martinez. I got a feeling that he might even be able to knock him out, but I'm not going to get greedy and chase the knockout prop. My concern there is like the Mano Martinez fight against your boy Ronnie Lawrence is like round three when it seemed like I remember victory lapping after round two about how smart I was for I think I had Ronnie Lawrence parlayed or something I had money invested in him and you know I was all about myself talking about how smart I was and then Mano Martinez in round three in fairness is like he knocked him down twice like made that you know puckered all of our butts basically heading into uh you know the final little stretch of that fight so he definitely didn't slow down all that much the the volume wasn't there he obviously hits very very hard I was I think Mano Martinez could very very well knock him out on the feet here like a lot of his losses are or sorry that's Sorry, his losses, Ronnie Lawrence, Draco. Yeah, that Draco submission is a really bad look, actually. Yeah, he hasn't done a whole lot. Even his Guido Canetti fair, fight, his coach Brandon... just died, so I'll give him that one. But he he looked way off. Guido Canetti was giving him a go. Turns out Guido's not half bad, right? But uh, I, I I don't know that this guy's volume is very high, and he's facing a volume puncher in Brandon Davis. So if he falls behind on the punch count and he needs a third-round knockout like he did in the Ronnie Lawrence fight, but then... You know, again, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. I got mixed emotions about this one. I can see the dog coming through, yeah. but I'm not just willing to take a bunch of random underdogs on this card. So I think, man, it does get the job done, but I could be persuaded uh, the other direction based on, you know, maybe more tape study or weigh-ins certainly helps in some cases. Yeah, you know what? The I'm going to actually, you know, I'm leaning towards the dog with you right now. The strength of schedule for him as you went through is like he's fought legitimate fight like some decent decent yeah. fighters like Enrique Barzola, Zabit, uh Giga Chikads, Kung Ho Kang, Mr. Perfect is is a very very formidable formidable opponent as well. Um good wrestling and just, you know, puts himself Even Kyle in Bokniak, like at the Bokniak time, solid, he was yeah. a good prospect. Yeah, very very durable and um yeah, the wrestling could be there for Davis. I'm not convinced that it'll be there for him, so I don't know if I'm going to pull the trigger on him before uh, before the fight actually goes down, but something I'll be looking towards. That if Davis is able to get some takedowns early in this fight, uh, it may be a decent time to jump in. Um, 
So yeah, both of us are uh, ever so slightly siding with the dog. There we got your boy, Victor Henry, taking on Rafa Sunsell. Victor Henry is a minus 400 favorite. Sunsell can be had for plus 300. What a what a wild shift from Victor Henry was like, well, like a plus 300 underdog against... Um, Against Rowney Barcello's last time out. And then now, uh, minus 400 favorite against Rafael Sunsau. I, I mean, I went back and watched Victor Henry versus uh, versus your boy there. And it was a really impressive performance. Like, his, his striking, his technique, his uh, his volume was definitely on point. He was, he's more of like a, rather than hit you hard, he's like, he's touching you, touching you. And I really don't think Rafael Sunsau can keep up with that volume whatsoever minus 400 though like i'm not sure there's an ounce of meat left on the bone here uh asunzo used to be you know revered for the fact that he was like durable but now he's like what 38 years old at bantamweight volume has never really quite been there he's never exactly been an elite wrestler by any stretch of the imagination you would think that like Rowney Barcellos would have leaned on his wrestling a little bit more against Victor Henry, and he wasn't really able to do so. I'm picking Victor Victor Henry, but like at minus 400, it's like, like how often does he win this fight? Like eight out of ten times? Like that's how it's getting priced right now. Unless you think he wins any more than that, and it would just be an absolute fluke for a Sunset to win. Nah, I don't really know how you get on to uh, to this number. Um, the other angle I was thinking about, but I don't think I'm going to get there is I'm not convinced that like, a, I think a sunset may be like done, done. Like watching that Ricky Simon fight back, it, it, it did not look good. Like he was basically just dominated pillar to post against a powerhouse wrestler. And then when he ate shots, he didn't take them very well. Cody Garbrandt knocked him out. Marlon Marais got a guillotine choke on him. Like this guy was really revered for his durability and his ability to stay in fights. And that may just be gone. And sorry, he's 40 years old at bantamweight. It is not a young, it is not a old man's division. I think Victor Henry wins. I just, minus 400. What am I supposed to do with that? Uh, your thoughts. Yeah, well, I was thinking the exact same thing. I mean, I got Victor Henry. I got Victor Henry all day, a guy that I've got a ton of respect for, been following his career for a long time. The thing is, with Victor Henry, he took the route of, I want to fight in Japan. And for American guys that go to Japan, you're just not on the UFC's radar. They'll let you fight there for a long ways, and none of the victories are really that big. Ooh, you beat some guy that the North American audience knows, so we'll just bring you in and say, he's coming off a win off someone you know. It's like you generally fall by their wayside, but he had an epic career down there. And of course, if you look at his record, he shows a ton of notable wins, a total high-level high guys. Hideo Tokoro at one point was the number one ranked Japanese guy. Matsukatsu Ueda at one point was the number one ranked guy. Uh, he, he, you know, he, He's just basically fought all the best Japanese guys, but has fallen under the radar. He's got a win over Kyler Phillips, UFC veteran, a win over Anderson Santos, UFC veteran. He's got a win over this Denis uh, Lertevyev, guy's an absolute beast. Yuki Montoya, another guy that was uh, ranked the number one guy in Japan for a while. Masahori Kanahara used to be the number one ranked Japanese guy and UFC veteran. Albert Morales, UFC veteran. So, whoa, bro, he's beaten five UFC veterans and he's beaten four guys that were formerly number one ranked guys in Japan. So, like, he's done a lot. He's 34 years old and he's got, like, 27 pro fights under his belt. So, I wouldn't say he's, like, a prospect by no stretch. 
It's that he's super talented guy that floated under the radar. Now I did pick Rowney Barcelos because you know most people know Rowney's a a very talented guy, and for him to make him look that bad to land 180 significant strikes to stuff all the takedowns with relative ease, super impressive. Now you can make the argument that Rowney Barcelos is uh you know washed up, but then look at Rowney's last fight. It's like oh he still got something. He mm-hmm. destroyed Trevin Jones, right? I think what you're seeing is Victor Henry catches catch can wrestling former Josh Barnett guy. I think he's just very talented. He's got the volume. He's got the wrestling. Uh, where does Rafael Sunsau win this fight? Rafael Sunsau has not won a fight in a long time, but when he was winning fights, his wrestling, you know, took down Rob Font, was able to control him. The Matthew Lopez, get some takedowns, you know, grind the guy down a little bit. Against Victor Henry, he's not getting those takedowns, which means he's going to be forced to strike with him. And the great thing about UFC.com, like the stats, fight metric, uh, it runs back to all the way to like his WEC days, Okay. Like, outside of UFC 170, when he landed 100 significant strikes, he is a career 50 guy, 40 guy, maybe 30 guy in the, in the significant strikes department. It's just not enough. He's way too slow. He's banged up. He's mm-hmm. basically got one uh, ankle because his other ankle had, like, major reconstructive surgery back in 2017. It ain't getting any better. And then as I'm completely writing the guy off, I was no chance. It's like, oh, shit, dude. His losses are Ricky Simone, Cody Garbrandt. He won the first round against Cody Garbrandt, for the record. Uh, Corey Sanhagen, Marlon Moraes. He's got a win over Aljamain Sterling, which I thought was bullshit. He got out struck. He got a win over Marlon Moraes, which I thought was bullshit. He got out struck. He hasn't been the same since 2016, 2017. He's going to lose this fight. But as much as you want to just completely write him off, there is something to be said for the fact that this guy's got some cojones on him. He only fights the best guys. He only fights the guys that pretty much nobody else wants to fight. And even though he's taking a year in between fights, big injuries, doesn't really compete all that much, the UFC is not like, here's a reasonable fight. We'll build you back up to a decent spot. They're just like, yeah, take take the guy that nobody else wants to fight. Victor Henry, I'm going to tell you right now, nobody else wants to fight. Not because he's a top five guy, top guy, best guy in the division, because he has absolutely no name within the division and is a hell of a tough fight. So they're hoping that if he beats a Sun Sao, now guys will want to fight him because it's like, oh, they might know who Victor Henry is. This is somewhat of a layup for Henry in the sense that he's progressing forward. A Sun Sao is just the guy that's trying to give him a little bit of shine. So I got Henry. I'm leaning towards Henry by decision. Uh, And I think I will go Henry by decision. Um, the one thing worth noting here is that when you look at the historic career of Asun Sao, nobody knocks this guy out. He had been knocked out by Eric Koch in 2011, and that's it. Went to decision with TJ Dillashaw, went to decision with, again, Sterling, Brian Caraway, Pedro Munoz, Marlon Marais, Rob Font, and then got rocked in the second Marlon Marais fight and got caught in a guillotine choke. Got knocked out by Cody Garbrandt, only the second time of his career. And then got knocked out by Ricky Simone, who's traditionally not a power puncher, nor is he a finishing guy. Mm-hmm. So I think you're seeing the mileage wear up. I think you're seeing the wear and tear wear up. He's now been knocked out in two consecutive fights, third time of his career. Writing's on the wall. And if Victor punches him in the head 188 times, believe me, he's not going to pull around Barcellos. He will topple over. So I, I don't know that I would you know, lock in that Victor by decision. I can see him no. getting the job done by TKO. 70 and a half significant strikes doesn't seem so bad. If it's the same type of, if he fights the way, but like the thing about it is that a Sun Tzu will try to fight a style that's like very, very slow and plodding. He's not going to stand in the pocket and exchange like, like Rowney did. Um, so yeah, don't be fooled by like the 180 that uh, Victor Henry got last time out. 
This is a totally it's a trap, yeah. It's totally different. Yeah. I mean that it's one didn't trap? that one didn't make my prize picks. This week on prize picks, like um I actually forgot to mention them on the previous ones. I had uh Dusko under 25.5 significant strikes. I just think somebody dies really fast in that fight. Um, and then with uh, Menafield, I have under 35.5 significant strikes because I think part people, of me because I think people that he's gonna die. I think Shurkinov's yeah. gonna die or Shurkinov's gonna get him down and right. and like Menafield's not exactly a high volume guy for the most part anyway. But yeah, either way, it's just like I don't. There's not much, like especially like you know me. I usually like like the 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 takedown markets, and it's like I think they got the takedowns pretty good. It's like Dusko's takedowns was set at one, and it's just like that's maybe all it takes. Maybe he takes him down once and and finishes the job like that. Is he gonna get to two? Is right if he gets taken down, gonna get back up, right? Like tricky. It's definitely they did they did a pretty good job uh, setting these numbers this week, in my humble opinion. What I would say is I'm hearing that and I got to look at prize picks, of course, again, but I'm very tempted on hitting that under a couple reasons for why I would hit that under. First of all, with the Buffalo Sunset, you mentioned he spends most of the time in the clinch. So guys don't rack up high numbers of strikes against him. Uh, when you look at his last number of fights, Ricky Simone knocks him out in the second, but he'd only landed 18. He was on pace for well below Cody mm -hmm. Garbrandt, you know, former champion. He had 19 through almost two full rounds. Well below. Corey Sanhagen, known for absolute volume. Mm -hmm. Probably the lowest he's ever landed in a three-round decision win in his entire career. 62 against Rafael Sunsau. Rob Font. Rob Font, an absolute machine. Dude lands a 100 on the daily. Reduced to 20 in his fight with Rafael Sunsau. Now, wouldn't you imagine this? The number's set at 70, okay? Hassansau, or Ricky Simone didn't do it. Cody Garbrandt didn't do it. Corey Sanhagen didn't do it. Marlon Marais didn't do it. Rob Font didn't do it. Matthew Lopez didn't do it. Marlon Marais the first time didn't do it. Aljamain Sterling didn't do it. TJ Dillashaw didn't do it. Brian Caraway didn't do it. Pedro Munoz didn't do it. TJ Dillashaw didn't do it. Von Lane didn't do it. Mike Easton didn't do it. Issei Tamora, Johnny uh, Eduardo, Eric Koch, Elsie Davis, Diego Nunez, Uriah Faber, Yves Jean Boy, Jamil Massou. Dating back to 2009, no man has landed over 65 significant strikes in a fight over right? So you know who in else decision is? or finish. Yeah. So what the fuck? Oh, I swore. Megan, write that down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, why not? Why would I not take the under on this one all day? You're right about Victor Henry. He's coming off one real hot fight, and now he's taking on a guy that's either going to get knocked down in the second round, and you're not going to hit that number, or he's going to cling on to you, and you're not going to hit that number. Yeah. But the under 70 on the prize picks, I like that. I don't think I'm going to hit it. Like like the rest of Sun Tzu's opponents, I'm just not going to hit that number. I'm just not going to hit either side of that number. I just don't like it. Don't like it one bit. All right, we uh, let's keep let's keep the chains moving here. We've got Nick Maximov taking on Jacob Malkoon minus one forty five. Maximov plus one twenty five for Malkoon. This one's a very very strange fight because both of these guys do the exact same thing. It's like they try to take you down, they try to hold you there, rinse repeat constantly like the the real question i think and i don't have the answer for it to be perfectly honest is like who's a better striker like what if wrestling just negates itself between the two of these guys well then who who wins those exchanges obviously nick maximov last time out getting uh getting caught by petrosky i was on petrosky on his money line i did not see a first round anaconda choke coming for him so you know I was pretty surprised to win that bet. But, like, otherwise, you look at these guys' fights, and it's just, like, you know, piling up takedowns, 
But yeah, my big question here, and I don't really have the answer for it. I'm going to lean ever so slightly to the underdog just because he's the underdog in a fight that I think is like a 50-50 fight. Who wins the striking exchange between Maximov and Malkoon? There's your winner. They both are pretty horrible with their hands. Yeah, as I said, Malkoon for me, do you have a, a hot take on this one, Cody? No, not a hot take on this one at all. I think it's it's very uh, good matchmaking from the UFC. It could be a really bad fight. So in that regard, terrible matchmaking. But you, there's, you can only have one of these guys, right? You can't be clinging on to a bunch of these guys that don't want to strike, low output, going to take down uh, take multiple takedown attempts, but not necessarily takedown pen attempts and some great flashy ground and pound or a sweet submission attempt. No, nah, it's mostly just take the guys down and hold them down. They get back up, take them back down again. So one of these guys is going to prove to be that type of fighter and he'll go on in the UFC one of these guys I could see getting caught. Like, they're both middling. They're not exactly fan favorites. They're both in the UFC, not because of what they bring to the table uh, necessarily, but because of who they know. So in Malkoon's case, he's Robert Whitaker's buddy. Mm-hmm. That's why he's in the UFC, let's be real. Um, and he, I think he's making some improvements, but he's certainly not like a, an upper echelon talent. Maximoff, meanwhile, he's Nick and Nate Diaz's buddy out of uh, Stockton. So, yeah, does his skill set good? Yeah, I think he's got the goods. I just think he's probably a guy that should have fought five more times on the LFA scene before coming over to the UFC and kind of rounding out of his game. But anyways, yeah, they're both wrestlers. Malkoon doesn't really have that pure uh, wrestling background, whereas at least with Nick Maximoff, he actually wrestled a collegiately community college role. The same, he's got some collegiate wrestling background to his name. When you look at some of his wins for Nick Maximoff, he outgrappled Cody Brunridge and took him down. Cody Brunridge was a collegiate wrestler. He took down Pony Hale Sanriano, who I believe was a state wrestling champion in high school back in Hawaii. So he's wrestled other wrestlers and typically comes out on the other side of this. If he wins the wrestling match against Malkoon, takes him down and ends up on top of him, this is Maximov's fight all day. The thing is, is that Mac- Jacob Malkoon seems like freakishly strong. He's not necessarily taking down collegial wrestlers, but it's eight takedown attempts against, or uh, eight successful takedowns against Abdul Razak Al Hassan, who's like, a big yoked up judo black belt, not super easy to take the guy down. And he did it eight times relative to these. AJ Dobson. AJ Dobson is extremely strong. Used to be a power lifter. Uh, tough guy to take down and hold down, and yet he did it with ease. And then the Brandon Allen fight. Brandon Allen's got flaws in his game, but no one's ever just taken him down like that before. And a strong argument from a lot of people that maybe Malcolm should have won that fight. It was an awful fight. It was a terrible fight. No ground impact, no submission attempts. But like his ability to take the guy's down is like pretty solid maximum solid as well but maybe i'm leaning towards maybe malcoon malcoon's i think a brown belt and maximum's a black belt so like does that mean anything and mma generally no. doesn't so let's throw that one out the window so now the million dollar question is what you said who's a better striker and like shit Paul, i have no idea Who, who's a better striker? could not tell you simple fact neither guy really shows you much striking what i can tell you though is it appears that it appears that uh, one guy in in, J- in J- Jacob Malkoon is at least more willing to engage. He's at least more willing to throw his hands. Whereas Nick Maximov, it seems like it's takedown or bust. I mean, his fights, he's throwing up a very low uh, level, not low level, but like very low output strikes. Everything's to get into the clinch. Even, to get guy, even against some guys where it's like you could strike a little bit now that he's tired out. It's like he's live and die by the takedowns. The Brunridge fight was extremely sloppy. I think Malcoon's going to come into this fight a little bit better prepared and maybe just ever so slightly grease him out. So it's just another dogger pass type fight. Malcoon's slight dog, correct? Is he still? Did it move? Yep, plus 125. Yeah, like I, I, I'm just going to classify this one as another dogger pass. They've got similar styles, 
They both could win. If they fought 10 times, I'd expect, you know, a different outcome in five for one, five for the other. Close, slight plus money. Of course, we need some underdogs on our slate. So give me uh, Jacob Malcoon. We got Joe Anderson Brito taking on Lucas Alexander. Brito is a minus 360 favorite. Alexander can be had for plus 300. You got any thoughts on this one, buddy? I mean, it doesn't look yeah, like this. this it doesn't look like this Alexander kid has uh, do done all that much. Brito was supposed to take on uh, Melsick, which was, that was going to be a banger. That was going to be a good fight. Um, and obviously, Melsick had to pull out. And I don't really know how. You know, they do contender series and all of that stuff. They got tons of people, and then all of a sudden, they're signing. You know, this guy off of the street. Um, yeah, I mean, his best win, I suppose, is his last time out against, what, Jake Jacob Kilburn, who we remember in the UFC <laughs> of literally just getting getting iced by every... Well, I guess he went to decision against Austin Lingo um, and lost by uh, switch knee flying knee to Brandon Jenkins, another fan favorite in the UFC street. So, I don't... And then lost to my boy Robbie Ring. I actually did the play-by-play on that call in the Aries FC over in Tennessee. So Lucas Alexander must know some people in high places to get himself into this position on short notice. Hard to not side with the favorite, I suppose. But I will admit that I need to do some tape on Lucas Alexander. This got added to the card, I believe, yesterday. Um, so, yeah, haven't looked into this guy all that much. But uh, Brito is an absolute powerhouse, so... I'd be surprised if you're picking the other side. I got a tinfoil hat conspiracy theory, but uh -oh. it leads to you still picking Brito. And Brito wins this fight, and I think you want to jump on the line now before it starts to head even more in his direction. I think he gets the job done. I think once uh, Almeida either – sorry, Lucas Alexander either misses weight on Friday or comes in looking like shit on the scales on Friday, that will be your like, oh, I missed it. But until then, I think – you get down on Brito. It's not who does this Lucas Alexander know that got him to the UFC. He's got a visa. He's got his medicals. And he's stateside. And they need a guy. And you're the guy. Great. Now, Joannison Brito is coming off a career best win over Andre Feely in which he absolutely murdered him in the first round. He's very tough. He's very aggressive. He looked good on the contender series. Bill Aljeo fight left something to be desired. But again, Aljeo, not necessarily a terrible competitor in his own right. Joannison Brito is considered a decent enough prospect heading in the right direction. A fight with Melsic Bagasari, you say, great, great times. Who wants to replace Melsic on short notice against Joannison Brito? So a guy like Luke, Lucas Alexander. But let's talk, uh, well, let's talk straight up style. The guy doesn't deal well backing up and he doesn't deal good wrestling off of the cage. So Joannison Brito's going to back him up because that's what he does. He's aggressive and he comes forward. And he's really good at particularly completing his takedowns off of the cage. So he's either going to just be aggressive and don't strike him, or uh, I think he's going to just press him backwards and score takedowns. Now we go to Gracie Theory. Not even Gracie Theory. It's just facts, bro. So if you look at Lucas Alexander, he starts off his career in Brazil with a couple of, you know, uh, did this guy exist? Did he not? Who knows? But he goes 2-0. And then he loses rear naked choke first round against this Rogelio Gonzalez. Okay, this fight is at 155 pounds. Mm -hmm. This next fight against Matheus Pereira in Brazil, he also loses at 155 pounds. Effectively, now he's two and two, probably not going to make it places. But you know what he does? He takes a full year off. He packs up his bags from Brazil. He flies over to Florida. In Florida, he face, faces a six and seven guy for Island Fight, which he wins. He faces a three and two Carlos Carrera, very winnable fight for him, which he wins. Sorry, let me start back from Jeremiah Fernandez. The fight's at one, it says it's lifted at 55. 
he weighed in at 146.8. Mm-hmm. Interesting because he didn't make 146 in a featherweight fight. It was 0.8. The very next fight against Carlos Guerrero, which he wins by decision, he weighs in, wouldn't you know it, for a featherweight fight at 146.8. And his back to back fights, he weighed 146.8 on both of them, which are both near misses. But hey, he won two fights in Florida, so no one's saying anything about it. His next one, he fights at 145, which he does make. But then this fight against Ty Johnson right before Jacob Kilburn. Want to read that number for me? 146.8 for a featherweight fight, right? That's three times he's actually missed that limit. Three times he's come in at 46.8, meaning he can't make that last pound. Back when he was in Brazil, he fought at 55. Now that he's in Florida, it looks like he's making weight. It looks like he's winning fights and he's got his career back together. He's actually missed weight in three of those four fights. Now, the only reason that that's important to me is because he's taking the Joannis and Brito fight on short notice, right? So what are the chances that this guy's suddenly going to melt himself down and make the weight on short notice, show up, and compete to the best of his abilities? Not likely. Brito's got this one, so sign me up for Joe Anderson. All right, we got Piero Rodriguez taking on Sam Page. Sam Hughes, minus 160. Rodriguez, plus 140 for Sam Hughes. Sam Hughes has a lot of her success recently has been against fighters with next to no ground game like i think we we learned about estella nunez that she was kind of a lame duck if she was taken down and had to fight off of her back decent little striker when she's on her feet elise reed is maybe one of the worst wrestlers in the division that we've we've seen um you know it's not that long ago where where sam page who has re-emerged as a wrestler was taken down four times by loma luke boonmi if this fight stays on the feet, looking at Pierre Rodriguez's you know skill set, she's should be able to absolutely dominate um, in those exchanges. It really comes down to like, can Sam Page get Pierre Rodriguez down, hold her down, hold her in place, and win a fight like how she's been winning in a lot of these other fights? I don't think so in this spot, but it's also a fight that like I don't really want to jump in in advance because it's like it's one of those situations where and I find I get myself in trouble when I bet these types of sides where it's like I have a preconceived notion that somebody is going to be stronger than the other person when they're in those exchanges until you actually see it um it's really tough to be um confident in it but I think Pierre Rodriguez should be able to keep this fight relatively upright even if she does get taken down she'll get back up and she should have an ex- a significant advantage on the feet in this matchup so i'm going with uh greasy piera what about you yeah i'm a little bit hesitant with this one as well just because piera rodriguez on the contender series it looked like she slowed down in that third round and then in her fight against Kay hansen loses the first round got taken down didn't have a really strong ground game off of her back, I didn't think. Loses the first. Thankfully, comes back, wins the second and the third round against Kay Hansen using her own wrestling. But one's got to imagine that she's not good off of her back, which is a problem, and her cardio is not great. And Sam Hughes is extremely limited, but two things that she actually does quite well is her cardio, pretty good, checks out, lots of energy, usually gets fired up in those later rounds and gets going. And you're right, dude. She's been using her wrestling way more. So if the fight stays standing... Uh, Sam Hughes is more of a striker, but I, I would say Pierre Rodriguez has the advantage. But I feel like you might be able to tire her out a little bit. You might be able to wear on her a little bit. If you can get takedowns into the mix, she's not getting back up. So it seems like Hughes realized grappling was a big issue in her game, and now she's using it effectively to win fights. Why not? Why not? Uh, the one thing I will say with Sam Hughes, though, is like 
she's been benefiting by the fact that uh, Estela Nunez completely smoked her in that first round and then mm-hmm. gassed out, right? And then Elise Reed couldn't wrestle, but also flat out gassed out. Pierre Rodriguez comes in with a good gas tank. Yeah, she probably does beat Sam Hughes. That's but if right Sam here. can kind of lean on her and tire her, she would be live. I'm going to go with Pierre Rodriguez. I think that the takedown defense is good enough. The striking is a slight advantage. Hopefully she doesn't tire out the same way the last two girls did and she gets the victory. But uh, again, if you're looking for these lower end underdogs that have a good chance of popping through, Sam Hughes definitely does have a chance of winning. It's going to be a you know dicey match. Pat Mayo, he loves these spots and he's traditionally done quite well in these spots. But I got to go with Pierre Rodriguez. Yeah, I thought Pierre Rodriguez's gas looked fine. Round three against Kay Hansen, like she stayed out of trouble. She knew she was up two rounds and just, yeah, she's, she still outpaced her two to one. Like it was kind of a slow paced fight in general, but I thought the gas seemed to hold up and I felt like, I feel like if Sam Hughes, if she's probably giving up round one because like the striking skills and all of that aren't in play. I don't know if she's going to be able to, like, you know, wear her down and, and, and beat her late. So, Sam Hughes seems like a very, very popular underdog shot that people are taking this week, and it's not going to be with my money. Uh, it's not going to – I'm not going to do it myself. Moving on down, we got Tatsuru Tyra taking on CJ Vergara. Minus 240 for Tyra, plus 205 for Vergara. I took uh, Condelario last time out against Tyra. Why? Because Condelario is a black belt in BJJ. I thought he was going to be able to keep the fight on the feet a little bit more. But, like, well, going back and watching that fight, Tyra is uh, he's, he's a talented young kid. And I think onwards and upwards from here, his grappling is super, super slick. I don't know if his, you know, offensive wrestling is quite there yet. But it's like... If he can hold Vergara up against the cage and then just find a way to get to the back that way, that could be in play. Or just peel him to the ground. Like This kid's going to be making ma- major improvements every single fight. You go out and watch some of uh, CJ Vergara's tape. <coughs> There's plenty of fights where like when he's getting up, he flat out just like exposes his back. That's going to be dangerous against Tyra. Um, and then in his last fight against Clayton Rodriguez, where he came out victorious, it's like he was really, really happy and content to like hang out in Rodriguez's guard, kind of got swept and got himself in a little bit of trouble. And in this matchup, Tira Tyra is a better grappler than Rodriguez. Like kids really, really slick on the ground. I think, I think Tyra submission, which I see out there for like plus 350 i'm gonna wait to see if there's some better better options as more props open up over the course of the week but i think tyra could very well find the finish here and and do so by submission so i'm impressed with you know where i think that this kid's uh skill can get to if it's just a stand and bang in the pocket type of fight like he's gonna eat some shots but he showed against condelario that's like he can eat he can eat those shots. He hasn't taken that serious amount of damage at this point in his career yet that uh you know, the chin is in check so far for Tyra. He's going to need it to like, you know, break the pocket and and eat some of those shots from Vergara, but you know, we're talking about a 125 pound division. I think once Tyra latches onto this guy, if he gets him to the ground, it could be uh it could be curtains from there. So Tyra Tyra by sub, I'm I'm waiting to see what I can do. 
from a, a prop perspective, but I think he's a rightful favorite. I mean, I was betting Candelario at this price against him last last time out, and I kind of like gave myself a pat on the back, like, oh, it was relatively close. And like rewatching, it's like, no, Tyra was like minus a thousand after two rounds. Like he was up pretty clearly, um, and that was against a black belt. I don't think Vergara showed improvements against Clayton Rodriguez last time out with his grappling, but this is a different beast altogether. So Ty Tyra, Tyra by sub for me. What about you? Yeah, man, if you think about the kids that have come into the UFC and have been, like, super prospect strikers, they generally don't last all that long. You know, the Sage North cuts of the world. When you see the kids that come into the UFC as the superstar grapplers, it's like that's the base that you can work out of. You see this Paul Rosa's kid, or Paul Rosa, what's his last name, sorry? Ro Rosa? Rosa? Rosa Jr.? Yeah. Raul yeah, like Rosa's Jr. Raul Rosa's Jr., 17 and a half years old. It's like, damn, he just dominated a 25-year-old man. You know, like, damn. It's like that It's that ability to grapple. With Tara, same thing. He's 22 years old, but his grappling is just very, very efficient. Now, what he does better than anything is he takes the back. He's able to get the body triangle in. He's able to control you. He's able to neutralize you. The big question mark against him and Candelario was, like you mentioned, Candelario, BJJ Black Belt, fought high-level guys, fought a bunch of high-level BJJ Black Belts and done quite well. So maybe he's got something for this kid. But yeah, I just thought he fought very efficiently. He's 22. He's only beginning going to be getting better. And if they match him up with guys that have maybe suspect grappling or make a lot of mistakes, he's going to take the back. That thing with CJ Vergara, yeah, he's here to bring the pain, baby. Won that third round against Ode Osborne. Brought the pain to him. That next fight against Klitson, same thing. Brought it to him. Overcomes bad spots. Got taken down, but continuously worked. Tired him out and outstruck him. Well-deserved win. Unfortunately, it's that he makes a lot of mistakes and he capitalizes on breaking you down, you getting tired, and then finding those little openings. Against Tara, I think those little openings is him taking your back and putting in a body triangle. And then guess what? He controls the whole round. And then the next round, he controls the whole round. It's like fighting Ryan Hall. It's like fighting Aljamain Sterling if you're Peter Yawn. You know, it's like he's got an ability to just hop on your back. And once he does, that's the rest of the round, man. There's nothing you can do about it. That's kind of how I see this one going. If you thought he looked a little suspect last time out, keep in mind, UFC debut against a 32-year-old veteran who was technically undefeated mm -hmm. and a black belt. All good stuff, technically undefeated because exactly. the one lost, he definitely could have got scored for him. And, and he looked good. Now I'm expecting to see an even better version of mm -hmm. him. And for that reason, I, I got to say, uh, Tar gets the job done. Does he submit him? I don't know. I'm kind of thinking he just takes his back and controls him for the entirety of it. But I also haven't seen Vergara have a guy on his back for 15 minutes. So easier said than done surviving, right? Yeah, that's just it. And, and like the price on it is decently playable. Like it may be one of those situations where, you know, he's got the back. The entire time you're rubbing your hands, you're like, give me that bread, give me that cash. And then, you know, Vergara, you know, fights off the rear naked choke time and time and time and time and time again. And, you know, it's one of those, it's one of those spots where it's like, you feel like you had a good spot, but maybe it didn't. Um, I mean, that happens with, with back takers and rear naked choke. It's like, if he, if he can't get the choke, I wouldn't be stunned, but plus getting you from minus 240 to like plus 350 i feel like that's probably worth uh worth it for me now uh, we'll see where other places like i what what other uh or places open up like we do the show early in the week and props aren't readily available uh across the market every single time so see yeah. i i i 100 agree with everything and then I, as i get up for it i'm like dude he's gonna be on his back the entire time dude he's got a nasty rear naked choke dude he's got a ton of finishes inside the distance due to submissions 
I get these like little, you know, sometimes they're Vietnam flashbacks, that style. However, it's always the same thing. Gunnar Nelson on top of, on top of Takashi Sato, 15 minutes back take, not even close with one Renega joke. <sighs> sometimes it seems too easy. Sometimes it seems too easy. Then you get those moments where it's like, yeah, dude, if you can't stick the guy with the first three or four, it ain't happening. It ain't happening. You don't hit him with the ninth one. It's like you either choke that guy out, you know, yeah. within two minutes of taking the back, or that's it, man. Yeah, that's but you're... it. They two, they two on one. They two on one, and that's it. Bellator fights. How many Bellator fights have you seen? Dude attacks the guy's neck for like nine minutes. It's like, oh my god. Of course, because but it's like a collegiate wrestler against a dude that's training out of his garage. Of course, but yeah, you're getting like a plus three fifty, twenty two percent implied probability it's like you don't have to win those every single time out right. to come out ahead right i i just think it's a bet on mike jackson in the next one yeah okay the people's main event we got pete rodriguez taking on mike jackson minus 700 for pete rodriguez plus 500 for mike jackson i parlayed the under in this one um with the todorovic versus Wright. Under one and a half. Under one and a half in this. The parlay comes out to plus 102. Um, and I had actually bet at another book. I got like a minus 196 to the under, which is gone. Like it's minus 270 in a lot of spots now. Um, here, UFC Vegas 61, Cody. The strategy and a lot of people were talking about like what was Dana up to was getting the media out of the apex this week with mike the truth jackson the plan is to get the media out of the uh out of the apex like they're setting him up against a guy who is a first round finisher after they tried to use him against dean barry conor mcgregor all that type of stuff and then obviously mike jackson keeps hanging around but it's like Pete rodriguez is a potent finisher i believe all of his fights have finished outside of one nope all of them have finished in the first round never been longer than two minutes and 59 seconds which was his loss against jack della magdalena i think the plan is to you know with rodriguez is get him to get rid of the journalist here um minus 700 no way i would touch that under one and a half minus 270 is not very very alluring but um this kid's going to come and he's going to throw bombs and try to put Mike Jackson away. Um, and I, I mean, I haven't seen anything out of Mike Jackson to lead me to believe that he's worth betting money on at literally any price. Unless he's fighting CM Punk again, which is never going to happen. That's it. Yeah, well, I can't uh, I can't deny anything you're saying. Mike Jackson has been like the whipping boy for the UFC, considering he comes in to fight Mickey Gall as like a just, what a joke. Hey, we got a local photographer who's going to fight Mickey Gall for the right to fight CM Punk. But they wanted him to fight CM Punk. They wanted to. Unfortunately, Mickey Gall in his second pro fight was far too much for him, and he loses. Mm -hmm. After that, they refused to book him for two and a half years. He was like, well, man, let me out of my contract. I'll fight for Bellator or something. They were like, no, no, not going to do it. Not going to do it. And then two and a half years later, they were like, you know what? Let's just run him versus CM Punk. So they did. And he beat CM Punk. And then they were like, oh, man, we can't have CM Punk have a loss to Mike Jackson. So, oh, well, Mike Jackson had a little weed in the system. So they checked into a no contest. He doesn't even have that win on his record. Mm -hmm. How abysmal is that? 
And then after that, they iced him again for almost four years. They were like, no, you can't fight. They offered him no fights. They wouldn't let him out of his deal. Uh, they probably offered him, like, because technically, contractually speaking, they have to offer you a fight. But that being said, they could be like, do you want to fight Nick Lance? And you'd be like, no. And they'd be like, okay, well, we offered you a fight. And it's like, well, man, give me something to my level. So they offered him Dean Barry, and it fell through. So they offered him Dean Barry, and it fell through. So then they waited another year, and they offered him <laughs> Dean Barry. And he came in as a plus 800 underdog. And Barry turns out he's shit. He eye gouged him. He got tired. He started off okay, but then he completely got tired. So it's like it wasn't justified. Even though the UFC is setting him up to get screwed, it was now now here's the interesting thing. Bear with me on this one because it's all theory here, right? Dean Barry's record consists of his debut, first round knockout, uh, third fight, first round knockout, first round knockout, first round knockout. All four of Dean Barry's pro wins by first round knockout. Dean Barry's only career loss to a bum and Anthony Taylor, who's two and five. Second round, second round, because he tired out. Now, you wouldn't have known it because it's like, oh, he'll kill Mike Jackson. But what ended up happening is once he didn't kill Mike Jackson in the first three minutes, he gassed out, and all of a sudden he's trying to poke eyes. So you can't just bet these guys as massive favorites when they've not shown you an ability to go to that round. His only loss was to Taylor in a fight that went to the second round. Now, Pete Rodriguez, here's my concern here. You got his topology pickup? Yeah. Yeah, Pete Rodriguez. They shouldn't call him, what's his name, Dead Game? They should call him Dad Bod Rod. Look at that, bro. He is way out of shape in this picture. He's carrying around some definite weight there. Uh, and then Dad Bod Rod, it's like, okay, well, what's he got for wins? Amateur career. First round knockout. 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 50 seconds into the second round, but it's an amateur fight, so keep in mind the first round is only three minutes, which essentially means it was three minutes and 50 seconds into the fight. would be a first round knockout. And another first round knockout. Seven wins. Six of them by first-round knockouts by amateur standards. One of them 50 seconds into the second round, which is still less than five minutes. Only lost. Well, sorry, he got subbed one time in the first round, and he lost to this Christopher Lyons by decision. So the only time that he had gone deeper into a fight is his only loss. The only time he's been to decision is his only loss. He turns pro, and then he shows minute 25 knockout, 10-second knockout, 41-second knockout, 221 knockout. No shame in losing to Jack Magdalena, man. <laughs> No shame in using the Jack Dell. That guy is an absolute stud. The fact remains is that do we know that Dad Bod Rod can fight a second round? Can he fight a third round? Now, he probably just smokes Mike Jackson out of there in the first round. He probably TKOs him in the under one and a half, like you said. But who's to say he's not just like Dean Barry? Who's to say this guy's not going to see the bright lights and see Dana White and see, you know, the ring announcer and, you know, you see the ring card girls in this... This, yeah, I get he's already made his UFC debut in a pay-per-view against Gone versus uh, Francis Ngannou, but if he gets to a second round, bro, it gets to a third round, he could be cooked. And if he's cooked, then even a bum like Mike Jackson has a legitimate chance of just staying to the outside and using his jab. So, like, I just don't know that I want to – even at minus 750, like, what could you possibly get out of this? And like you are saying, probably under one and a half. Probably, probably, sure. But if he don't get it done in that first round – uh, he's going to gas and Jackson's going to stay to the outside and it's going to be a, t a terrible fight, terrible fight. And I, th I think anyway, so, uh, it's either going to be Rodriguez knocking down the first or Rodriguez failing to do so tiring out. And I don't know, maybe Jackson becomes live at this price, at this price, or I'm not taking the dog shot here. I'm saying Rodriguez is minus seven fifty. that screams. He's the biggest lock in the entire card, right? But there's enough red flags for me on this one to be like, I, I don't know if I agree with that assessment. I'll play, I'm sure. 
That ain't going to be, you know, a lot lower than that. I mean, yeah. I mean, the fights, it's a, it's a one and I mean, the Dean Barry fight is like, he got, eye got, he got eye poked and then refused to continue. And I got because eye poked a few times and it was a dirty eye poke, bro. Yeah. It wasn't a great eye poke. I don't know. I, I don't. I don't understand sure why they wouldn't just let this guy go. Like, if you're talking about, like, contracts and stuff, it's like, what are they gaining by keeping him around? Like, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any um, sense whatsoever. Like, if they, if they could just cut him want... at any time, why? Like, what is he going to go to? He's going to go to Bellator. He's going to go to Bellator so he can be, like, Aaron Pico's, like, comeback fight, like, opponent or something <laughs> like that. I guess that's way yeah. different weight classes. Like, I don't know. No, throw him, know throw him to my boy, Roshkoff. Like, we could use that dub. Like, get, get Mike the Truth and Belly belly for that reason. Like, what would they possibly even do with this guy? He's got really, outside of beating CM Punk, like, we haven't really seen much from him because he's clearly not really supposed to be at this level. Like, he got into it um, as being, you know, CM Punk's potential future opponent like i don't know all i'm saying is yeah i i got i got in on the under because yeah we only have so many opportunities against uh you know with mike jackson in there to uh to get these unders um after us uh, it's an ugly ugly situation am i gonna be stunned if pete rodriguez doesn't get him out of there and we end up going over one and a half no i wouldn't be absolutely stunned i'm not even that it's not like the todorovic right like i'm very very heavily invested in that one a little bit less so in this total quickly to go over my action i've got todorovic right under one and a half minus 215 todorovic right under one and a half plus rodriguez jackson under one and a half parlayed together at plus 102 and I got Martinez Swanson under two and a half uh, plus one thirty. Considering haven't done it yet, if I can get like a north of four hundred, uh, I'll I'll take a shot on Tyra by sub. And on prize picks, uh, I just went after the significant strike market. Uh, we'll see how we do, but I got Tyra less than 60.5 significant strikes. Like I expect him to try to get this fight to the ground and like, we are not brawling at range with C CJ Vergara. So 60 and a half significant strikes seemed a little bit high to me. Uh, Grasso more than 90.5. It's a five round fight. Rujo's durable enough. Cardio checks out enough that I think. It could get, you know, it could be a little bit dicey early on, but if we get five rounds out of these ladies, like 90.5 seems like a like a spot you can definitely clear um, for Grasso. Uh, and then we got spamming the unders. We got Pete Rodriguez under 25.5. I think he's just going to hit Mike Jackson and dead him. Alonzo Menafield under 35.5 significant strikes. Again, I think Misha's chin shows up. And he gets deaded very early in this one. And Dushko versus Jordan Wright. I expect Dushko to go out there and try to take Jordan Wright down. And um, when he's on the ground, those significant strikes don't typically get counted. Or he's just going to eat a clubbing kick or a, an elbow in the clinch uh, to the noggin and, and be rendered unconscious himself. So Tyra less, Grasso more, Rodriguez less. Manafield less, 
Todorovich, Les, Cody. Hit him with the PRP. We're going to go with Lexi Grosso. Better live betting spot. We're going to go with Cub Swanson, dog number one. Got to make it a brawl. Askar Askarov, get those takedowns. Uh, Jordan Wright, for now, is going to be my dog number two. I think it's just going to be an absolute firefight. I hope he clips Dusko. We're going to go Misha Cherkinov, dog number three. I just hope he gets the fight to the ground and uh, utilizes that grappling. Uh, Brendan Davis, dog number four. I think he can hopefully push a pace on Mana. I could switch back to Mana on that one. I'm on the fence, but again, dogs that come through make sense. Victor Henry back on the gravy train, baby. We're going to go with Jacob Malkoon. He's going to be our dog number five. I think he can out-grapple Nick Maximov ever so slightly. I think he can win the striking exchanges ever so slightly. And then we're going to go with Joannison Brito, Piero Rodriguez, Tatsura Terra, and Pete Rodriguez. So round up with four more favorites. So five underdogs in total of those underdogs. Again, you know, different levels of confidence, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure some of them are going to come through. It's going to give you some plus money. The four best favorites I like on the favorite side of things, Joannison Brito, Lucas Alexander, who's going to struggle to make weight. Tetsuo Tyra is going to be able to take CJ Vergara's back and control him. Victor Henry, way too much pace, stuffs the takedowns, lands the volume, and Askar Askarov gets those takedowns, sets up shop on top. Coming off that loss is actually going to be really good for him. And he's been saying good things in the media, too. Like You can tell he's learned. Anyways, those four guys right there plays you anywhere between 217 and 250. So that's kind of my core this week would probably be those four. Start to sprinkle the other ones. And, of course, with five available underdogs, I think there's going to be a, a chance to hit a good plus money guy there too as well. Let's get off the mat. Let's make some money. we got six straight weeks of UFC action, so let's get after it. That is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saftik, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.